You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Chris, you're a blessing. Michelle, you're a blessing. We just got, Danielle, we just got such a great uh, group of people who are leaning in to Jesus and, and, and seeking to lead us into the Lord, and it's a, a great uh, blessing to be part of the team. And I'm thankful you're here. Maybe you're new or a visitor. My name's Keith. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and if this is maybe your first time in church or first time in a long time, uh, hey, we just want to welcome you and, uh, and thank you for being here. Uh, maybe you took a risk getting here this morning, and, and I, don't mind just, I don't mean just driving the streets of Kelowna, although that... That can be a risk, can it? Uh, mean, hey, maybe this is an unfamiliar space to you. But here's the thing I want you to know. Jesus invites people into the center of his life. That's the posture he took. Maybe you're familiar with the cross, uh, and you're unfamiliar with church, but maybe you're familiar with the cross, and the cross really is an image of what Christ has done. He opened wide the arms of God and gave up his life as a sacrifice for ours so that we could be embraced into the very heart of God. And that's what we're here for. And so if you feel like you don't belong, that's the picture. You belong because Jesus has done something to invite you into God's life with him. And so may that be your fuel this morning uh, as you settle into your seat. We've been working through a sermon series uh, where we have been uh, imagining the kingdom. It's a sermon series where we're looking at the parables that Jesus tells in the gospel of Luke. And we're imagining the kingdom because Jesus tells these kind of parables, these stories that help us imagine what God's kingdom come on earth might look like. And we need to learn to imagine God's kingdom because as we imagine what our future could look like, it actually affects the way we live in the present. If we have no imagination for what God's kingdom come might look like, well, uh, you better believe that our lives aren't going to turn into much that reflect it. And so Jesus tells these parables, these stories in the Gospel of Luke, because he wants to, to give us an imagination for what his kingdom come looks like upon the earth as we follow him, as we love him, as we serve him. And so we, we come to the next parable in the Gospel of Luke And it's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And so I invite you to turn there with me. I think it's on, there's a pew Bible. It's on page 717, I believe, in there. Uh, Or you can turn in your device. Luke chapter 7. Hear the beautiful words of the Lord, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, 
Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus. You are the lover of our souls. You see us completely. Everything that we want hidden from other people, you see. And you love us. You love us despite the darkness and the sin and the brokenness. And so, Jesus, my prayer at the outset is that your love would be palpable among us and that you would give us an imagination for your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Through this story, through these words. And so, Jesus, we pray that your spirit would give your church ears to hear what you want us to hear and change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is my personal favorite story in all of Luke's gospel. I mean, th there's so much in here. Uh, it's, it's a story that is, is filled, filled with beauty and, uh, and, and imagination and, and wonder. It's, it's filled with, with God's love, but also it's filled with this sense of looking into our own hearts to see what's really there. Uh, there's so much in this passage. And, and one of the challenges with preaching a passage like this is knowing where to focus your attention, knowing what to look for. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I, I'm going to walk through the text in a particular way. I'm going to point out three things. Uh, I want to walk through the text uh, to pay attention to the invitation and the insult. That's the first one. Second, to pay attention to the woman and the worship. It's the second thing. And thirdly, I want to pay attention to the story and the surprise. So three particular things, the invitation and the insult, the woman and the worship, then the story and the surprise. That's my outline for this morning. But here's what I want to invite you into as I do that. Pay attention. Pay attention to where you see the kingdom of heaven come upon the earth. 
Pay attention to where you see the life of God breaking into the lives of human beings. Because as we pay attention, we begin to see where that has effect in our own lives. And it gives us an imagination for God's kingdom come to us, even in this moment. And in the moments that we step beyond these doors, pay attention to where you see the kingdom. Okay, so three things. And the first one, the text begins with an invitation and then an ensuing insult. Uh, Verse 36 It tells us that Jesus is invited to a dinner party at a man named Simon's house, and he he just happens to be a Pharisee. He's a religious leader of his day. And so Simon invites Jesus to be a guest at his house. Uh, And now, in the context, in a first century century Palestinian context, there are multiple layers to, to the guests who would have been there that day. On, on one level, on one layer, there are these invited guests, uh, the guests of honor. Uh, they would be the ones who would sit down to eat and share a meal together. But there, were, there was also this other layer of people who would have been there. It, it's the layer of the attendants uh, and, and the servants of the household or the guests, the invited guests who have come. Uh, often when a dinner party like this was thrown, it was sort of like an open-door policy in some way. There were people coming and there were people going, uh, but it was the invited, honored guests who sat down to share a meal together, to share conversation with one another. And there's a great deal going on in this story that we can't see with our 21st century eyes. We just can't see them because we come from a, a 21st century Western context And this is a story that's happening within a very different time and a very different context. But we need to understand there are some similarities that we can draw from. Uh, For instance, when you think about being invited to someone's home for a dinner party, right, there are a certain set of kind of cultural rules and expectations. They're not written anywhere. You can't turn to a book and find them. But we feel them inside of us. They drive our behavior. So let's think this through. Uh, If you're invited to someone's home, let's say you get a text uh, and someone's inviting you to their house for dinner and you decide, you know what, I can go, I'm going to say yes. And you text back, this is great, I'll be there at a certain time. And then what's the next question you know that you're supposed to ask? What can I bring? How did everyone know that? (laughs) Right? It's, It's the cultural expectation. Uh, and then, you know, the, the day arrives and we, we arrive at the home uh, and we bring whatever we were supposed to bring uh, and the host opens the door and then there's a, a set of expectations that come and they're not spoken, but, but the host should do it or else we're going to think they're rude, right? They'll greet us at the door. They'll offer to take our jacket and hang it up. They'll invite us out of the entryway into the living space. They'll invite us to have a seat and ask us if we'd like something to drink, Right? These are kind of the, the unspoken rules that happen at, uh, at when we go to someone's uh, dinner party. And we need to understand that in a first century context, these things were at play too, these unspoken rules that you simply needed to follow. And in fact, I would say that in that context, they were even more important. Really important. In Jesus' day, when you arrived as a guest, the host would greet you at the door with a kiss. A kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the hand. 
If you were a friend or a family member or, or even someone that the family doesn't necessarily know, but you were kind of the same social situation, they would kiss you on the cheek. But if you were an invited dignitary or, or, or perhaps a rabbi or a teacher, you'd be kissed on the hand. And after the host would kiss you, the next thing that would happen is someone from the home, uh, typically a, a servant of the household, they would offer you water for, for you to wash your feet in, to wash yourself with. The roads were dusty. They were uh, dirty. Uh, and so it was a courtesy that was shown. And, and it, it, it basically conveyed the idea, look, you're welcome in my home. Come and be my guest. These two things, they're staples at the doorway of, of any dinner party. But as we read this story, in Luke 7, we see that both these acts of hospitality are omitted. Verses 44 and 45. They tell us that when Jesus arrived as the invited guest, he wasn't greeted with a kiss, and he wasn't offered water for his feet. Now, it's hard to explain in, in our context what that would have felt like, what that would have been like. But I imagine that it was something like this, that if you arrive to this dinner party you've been invited for, you, you open the door and you find your host sitting on the couch watching television and drinking a glass of wine. And then as you come in, you realize that they're not going to offer you space on the couch to sit, nor are they giving you a glass for yourself. <laughs> I mean, how would you feel? You'd feel unwelcome. You'd maybe even feel insulted. And in Jesus' day, to not greet your invited guests with a kiss or to offer them water to wash with, it would have been a great insult. It would have been a sign of contempt toward your guest. But more than that, it would have made a statement. A statement about your guest's social standing. That they weren't of a social standing where they, they were important enough for the standard customs of hospitality. In effect, it would say that they're inferior in some way. That they belong to a lower social rank, if you will. And so... In effect, Simon invites Jesus to dinner, and then he dishonors him on the doorstep. He dismisses him. And at this point, you would expect Jesus to act in a particular way. Or, or better yet, you would expect anyone to act in a particular way because, remember, there are all these cultural expectations that are happening under the surface that drive the way you're expected to respond, right? And there was a particular expectation at play here in an honor-shame culture that Jesus lived in. Uh, Kenneth Bailey is a scholar, an expert in first-century Middle Eastern culture, and he explains it saying this way. At this point... Jesus is expected to offer his host a few tight-lipped remarks. <laughs> a few tight-lipped remarks about not being welcomed. And then Jesus is expected to leave the party, to withdraw. That's how it worked in an honor-shame culture. If you're offended at the door, you, you make a bit of a scene. 
You point out to everyone there that your host has made a big mistake by dishonoring you, and you return the dishonor by saying, I will not eat with this person. It's what was expected. It's what should have happened. (laughs) But it's not what happened. Because that's not what the kingdom come looks like. Jesus absorbs the insult and all the hostility behind it, and he takes his place at Simon's table. Oh, we shouldn't miss this, church. The kingdom of heaven had arrived on Simon's front door. The life of heaven was manifest on the doorstep that evening. Jesus returns insult with grace. He pays back contempt with care. I mean, this is how Jesus imagines his kingdom come one chapter earlier in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 66, he says, he describes what what the kingdom come looks like. He says, blessed are you kingdom people when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject, reject your name as evil because of me the shape of the kingdom. If you want to imagine what God's kingdom on earth looks like, we need look no further than Simon's doorstep. Jesus returns an insult with grace. Oh, Jesus, may your kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven, and it looks like returning an insult with grace. It's what Jesus does. And then he takes his place at the table. And what comes next? (laughs) It takes your breath away. It's the woman in the worship. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And so this, this woman who is in town, she, she knows that Jesus has been invited uh, to the dinner party, and she decides to show up too, uh, uninvited, I might tell you. And it's hard to work it out here, but we need to understand she's there at the party before Jesus, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But she decides to go to this party uninvited. And it's interesting that, that Luke, when he tells the story, he, he, he doesn't tell us her name. But she's the kind of woman that everyone in the town knows already, if you catch my drift. She's that woman. The one who is not called by a name, but she's called by a label. Sinner. It's how she was known. And the question for me is, church, what would compel a notorious prostitute to crash a religious leader's dinner party? I mean, what would compel her to do that? The text doesn't tell us what it is. We're simply told that she is there because of Jesus. And I wonder, did she meet Jesus earlier that day in town? Did he restore to her dignity? Did he call her by her name, not her label? Did he tell her about the love and forgiveness of God? Did, did he announce God's kingdom come to her? Did he heal her heart? The text doesn't tell us. 
But we can easily imagine why she's there. There's no doubt that at some point in her past, she had encountered the profound love of Jesus, that he had treated her and seen her in a way that no other person had. And it did something in her. It compelled her to break into a religious leader's dinner party and make a scene. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. And here's the thing I want you to notice, church. Whenever God's kingdom is manifest upon the earth, whenever his love is manifest upon the earth, people are drawn in. Whenever we're generous with God's love, people come around, they show up, they want to be part of it. Whenever we treat others with the kind of love that Jesus has on offer, people want in, like a moth to a flame. At a meeting this week uh, that we had with the board members, one of our board members, Craig, he, he said this, he said, Whenever, wherever Jesus went, people were drawn to him. They were drawn to him. They just wanted to be around him. And then he said this, I want to be a church like that. A church that people are drawn to because we love like Jesus. <laughs> Amen, Craig. I want to be part of a church like that too. If you want to imagine the kingdom come on earth, imagine living your life like that. <laughs> As a church that people are drawn to, not because of our music or the preaching or the children's programs, but because it's a place where they encounter the love of Christ through people like you and me and, and us. <laughs> That's why this woman crashes Simon's dinner party. Because wherever the love of Jesus is on offer, People are drawn in. They show up. They want to be there. And the text tells us she arrives with a gift, a gift to give Jesus. It's a jar of perfume. And, and often, and maybe you've heard this story explained because it's, it's a relatively well-known story, and often when the story is explained, we, we make a big deal about how expensive this jar of perfume would have been. It's an alabaster jar of perfume. It would have been costly. And so the point is made that the woman comes with this extravagant gift because of the extravagant love she's experienced from Jesus. And that's all well and good. It's true. This is at play in the story. But I think there's more to the gift than that. You see, in Jesus' day, it was common for prostitutes to wear a small jar of perfume around their neck. I mean, it's there for obvious reasons, right? And some have suggested that her gift is actually an act of repentance, that the woman comes with a gift that says, Jesus, I'm giving you my old life because you have given me a new one. <laughs> she gives Jesus the perfume because she doesn't need it anymore. Because this is what happens when God's kingdom comes on earth. The old is gone. The new has come. It's what Jesus does through his love. 
And so here's the scene so far. The woman arrives uninvited to Simon's party with this gift for Jesus. She's there before Jesus is, and so she takes her place amongst the other servants, the other uh, household people waiting in the wings. And I want you to imagine for a moment what it's like for her waiting, waiting for Jesus to arrive. She's waiting with a heart full of gratitude, a heart full of excitement. She's, she's waiting to present her gift. And then the moment arrives. Jesus comes to the doorway, and, and her eyes are transfixed on the guest of honor. He's the reason she's there in the first place. But as Jesus stands in the doorway, her heart sinks. The host hasn't greeted him. There's no kiss. There's no water for his feet. And what kind of insult can this be? But she watches as as her loving Savior deflects the insult, and he simply smiles with kindness, and he takes his seat on the floor, reclining at a low table in order to share a meal with an ungracious host. And she can taste it in the air. It's this, this contempt and as it does, she, she, it's almost as though she can't take it anymore. She hits the breaking point. The geyser of passion, it's welled up. In verse 28, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes them with her hair. She kisses them and pours perfume on them. Do you see what's going on here? The woman can't stand it any longer. She's overcome with emotion. And she sets to remedy the insult. Without a basin of water, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Without a kiss on the hand from the host, she kisses his feet over and over again. There's no towel to wipe his feet either, and so she lets down her hair and wipes them clean. She does what Simon failed to do. She's not done. She still has a gift, her jar of perfume. I picture it still around her neck at this point. She opens the bottle and pours it on his feet. It's an offering of thanksgiving. It's an act of repentance. It's pure worship. You want an imagination for the kingdom come on earth, it's right here. We're getting a window into the greatest worship leader the world has ever seen. And it's an unnamed prostitute. Jesus does that. But Simon doesn't get it. The so-called religious leader who should know better, he doesn't get it. He's he's living in a different world. He looks at Jesus and he thinks to himself, this is verse 39, he says, look, if this man really were a prophet, he would know who this is touching him and what kind of woman she is. And she's a sinner. That's what he sees. 
And so then comes the story and the surprise. First, the story. Jesus then tells them this parable, verses 41 and 42. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. And then he asked, now which one of them will love him more? The story. The story is about two debtors. One owes about three months' wages, the other about two years' worth of wages. That's inflation included, okay? <laughs> Maybe. But despite owning different levels of debt, the two have something important in common. They both have the same inability and the same need. They are both cannot pay their debt themselves, and they both need the grace of being released from it, which is what the moneylender does in the story. He forgives both of their debt. This is what happens when God's kingdom comes. God forgives our debt. The debt that we have no ability to pay for ourselves. Our sin debt. The good news of God's kingdom is Jesus has come to forgive us of the debts that we are unable to pay. He's come to forgive our sin against God and our sin against other people. It's what the kingdom looks like. And after telling the story, Jesus asks a question. He says, Simon, which of these two will love the moneylender more? Simon answers, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You see, the story Jesus tells is simple enough to understand. The woman has been forgiven much as her great love has shown. The story is simple enough to understand, but it's the surprise that we often miss. I want you to hear the surprise. The surprise for Simon, at least, is that Jesus tells a story about two debtors. Not one, but two. It's the story of a sinful woman in debt, but it's also the story of a self-righteous Pharisee in debt. And the surprise for Simon is that this is a story of two debtors. Do you remember what Simon's beef was with Jesus, why he dismissed Jesus in the text? He dismisses Jesus because he thinks that Jesus doesn't recognize a sinner when he sees one, right? I mean, if Jesus truly was a prophet, he would recognize who is touching him and that she's a sinner. His beef was that Jesus didn't recognize a sinner when he saw one. But then Jesus turns around and says, surprise, Simon. I don't simply see one. I see two. And listen to how Jesus explains the story to Simon, verses 44 to 46. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Jesus, in effect, is saying, look, Simon, you've sinned against me, your neighbor, from the moment that I stepped through the doorway, but this woman that you despise, 
The one that you look down your nose at, she has compensated for your sin against me. She's treated your guests with honor. The surprise in the story is that Jesus is speaking about two debtors, and one of them is Simon. (laughs) His sin wasn't as public, but it was equally destructive. Pride, judgmentalism, hard-heartedness, self-righteousness, one who insults and judges and elevates himself over others, one who uses his position of power and privilege to hold others in their place. We might even ask at this point in the story, who is the greater sinner? I think in that moment it was the pastor, not the prostitute. The point of the story isn't whose sin is greater. It's not the point. The point is both sinners are offered the forgiveness they desperately need, which is how the scene in Scripture ends. Jesus tells the woman something she already knew. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And so I simply have one question for us today. Which of these two stories will you live? The woman's or the Pharisee's? What will you do with your sin debt? Because we all have one. Will you be the repentant sinner who falls at your Lord and Savior's feet in worship? of the, Or will you be the self-righteous saint to whom Jesus is merely your invited guest? Only one of these manifests the kingdom of God on earth. Only one brings heaven to bear. Only one leads to everlasting life. Which story will you live? Let's pray. Jesus, you know the way to life and life everlasting. And you offer it to us freely, freely. My confession on behalf of myself and and the people here this morning is that sometimes, Jesus, we live like Simon. We have this sin debt that we don't attend to, that we're self-reliant, self-righteous. And sometimes we think we're better than others. And Jesus, in all of it, we're insulting you. We dishonor you. Sometimes our lives are out of sync with your kingdom come. But Jesus, we, we want to be like the woman. We want to live lives where we understand all that you've forgiven us for. That as we receive your love, your kingdom would come on earth in us, just as it is in heaven. That we would be people of worship. 
And so, Jesus, we want to take a moment right now to, to bring to you whatever you're stirring in our hearts. Let's take a moment of silence, church, as you pray in your own hearts to the Lord who's offering forgiveness and restoration, love.